Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jordan. How are you, man? I'm really good. Yeah, the family's good. How's your family? They're doing great. Fall is upon us, and uh, my wife, as soon as the calendar turns over to September 1st, is putting fall decorations on the front door, and uh, 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 before October 1st hit, she was putting out pumpkins and things like that, and we had to get mums, and so she went to an Amish store the other day and brought home all these fall goodies, like these spice cookies that were really good. And um, I'm a big pimento cheese guy. Mm. I love pimento cheese. And so she brought this this homemade pimento cheese with jalapenos in it. So I've been, I've been in a very happy place e- eating spice cookies and pimento cheese. Not together, but you know, <laughs> within the same sitting. So yeah. what about yeah. you guys? You guys have any special things you do this time of year? Yeah, you know, uh we've started the Lord of the Rings movies again. Ah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. I don't I don't I mean I don't I can't think of an explicit reason to tie them to the fall, but <laughs> I think it's just any time is a good time to watch Lord of the Rings. So. Any time is a good time. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, so I'll tell you, I um, I'm I have a, what's called a DVD player. I don't know if many people still have those. Anymore. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> um, but so I had to get a universal remote over the weekend because one of our remotes broke, and and so I was able to tie three things in our living room to one remote. Oh. And after living in this house for twelve years, I have never had that sort of joy. <laughs> being able to say, look what I have done. I am technologically savvy to some degree. There was one part that I couldn't get to hook up. So, you know, whatever. We won't talk about that one. But um, yeah, so we still have a Blu-ray player, a DVD player. That's the same thing. Um, and for me, it's Christmas movies, man. Mm. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, it's a tradition in our house that we have to watch White Christmas, mm-hmm. like the night of Thanksgiving. So um, anyway, I love this time of year and, and kind of reliving some of these traditions. Yeah, absolutely. So in speaking of traditions, yeah, we're going to get into some traditions today about a table fellowship and yeah. uh, what that looked like in the first century through the lens of the life of Matthew. So this weekend's passage was Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Okay, so let's just get get going here and talk about the the table fellowship of this passage. Um, so, w- what's the big deal about eating with tax collectors and sinners here at this time? Well, it it was an obvious sign of fellowship, and when you sat down to eat with someone, you were um, you were doing more than just 
waving as you pass by. You are to some degree identifying with them. And I know I know you've done some great research to to give us some insight into what that looked like. So tell us what you found. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is the concept of haver or kaber. Mm. Um, so it it essentially means something like friend or fellow or colleague or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a word associated with Pharisees and their their groups of people that they would associate and eat with. So I'm just going to read from Wikipedia's article because I think this is a really good uh, condensation of the concept. Yeah. So it says, Kaver also denotes a member of a society or a union of Pharisees for the purpose of carrying out the observance of the of the laws of food purity to their fullest possible development. In their eyes, any person whose observance of the food purity or tithing laws was doubtful was an am ha'aretz, which basically translates to person of the land, uh, a non-observant or ignorant person whose contact was considered by the Pharisees to be ritually defi- defiling. So the term kaver is not synonymous with Pharisee, since not all Pharisees were kaverim, or friends of each other. Right, right. So, so just kind of breaking that apart, basically... You know, food laws are also a big thing to keep in mind here because Very much you, so. you had to be, you know, I mean, God said, like, you need to tithe things from the land in order for them to be kosher to eat. Right. Um, so it's not even just, you know, is the food itself kosher? It's like, have you tithed correctly? Um, but then also, you know, like there were different degrees that different groups of Pharisees had with observing these things and like extra stringencies and extra, you know, care that they would take that they wouldn't break that or they would you know give a little extra so they made sure that they hit the quota so right. there are all these different you know standards that are held by these different groups of Pharisees um, so and you know that's where you get the idea of Haver or Haverim like the f- different Pharisees in these groups wouldn't even necessarily eat with each other right even though they all have these high standards that go beyond what's explicitly needed they wouldn't even eat with each other because they didn't meet the same standards of each other so you carry that into this conversation where Jesus is eating with your tax collectors and sinners who, you know, presumably are not keeping these things to a high degree. Um, you get like an interesting question where they're asking him, well, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? It isn't just a question of like bad association. It's right. like, well, you know, these people might be ritually defiling you. Like this, this is like an extra level of complication. Yeah, that's right. And and you even think about you know there there are specific Pharisaical traditions about hand washing, and mm-hmm. that's not just you know go clean your hands before you eat. It's it's ritual hand washing. There's all sorts of customs and traditions that are associated with particularly with the Pharisees and particularly with what they would do around eating. And so to share table fellowship implies. We are of the same ilk. We are of the same uh, tribe, as it were. And so, what are you doing, Jesus? What, um, you know, because I would venture to say that there weren't any tax collectors or quote unquote sinners who were keeping really any of the traditions of the Pharisees or the various sects of the Pharisees. And so, you know, it's like Jesus is just once again throwing all of their tradition out the window. What are you doing? And so Jesus then appeals to Scripture. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I mean, he 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 is calling them to a deeper understanding of what it means to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And 
he's stretching them, and, and that's an uncomfortable place for them. It is, and I, I think stretching is the the right idea for this because it's like, you know, there's the tax collectors and sinners over here, and then the Pharisees over here, and like Jesus has intentionally put himself in the middle where, you know, like it, it, just pause and think about it. Why are the Pharisees even talking to him, and why do they even care about him? Like, yeah. like yeah, like he's he's a potential you know Messiah and a, a candidate for that that they're vetting or whatever. But right. like, why are they eating with him all the time? Yeah, you know he on some level. He probably is like a haver, like a, a friend of theirs, like, you know, eating some level of, you know, the level that they're eating at to where they will even associate it with sure. him at some level. But then you have the tax collectors and sinners who are also eating with him and he wants them to be there. Yeah. Like stretching is, you know. I mean, it really is. And and it had to be, quite frankly, it had to be an awkward place for Jesus. Now he's God. So I'm, you know, I, I don't think he was distressed, but... But but talk about the awkwardness of here are tax collectors and sinners, and I don't know um, the degree of their sinfulness, um, but I'd say it's pretty pretty real. You know, I, yeah. I think he was probably eating with what most of the 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 people uh, of that day and of our day would classify as a real sinner. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, not just somebody who who may have stepped outside of a theological line, but but somebody who's doing some things that everybody would identify as sin. Um, and here are these Pharisees who pride themselves, not only in their adherence to the law, but their adherence to what one of my professors called a lifeboat of the law. In other words, we have 613 commandments, and that's a lot, but those 613 commandments don't touch everything. So they've even gone above and beyond the 613 commandments, and they're remarkably stringent and very proud of themselves for their ability to observe, to uphold uh, not only the law, but their pharisaical traditions as well. So Jesus is is holding this tension and calling, frankly, he's calling both groups to repentance. That's the thing. Yeah. He's calling both groups to repentance and faith. And uh, that's that's a very interesting paradigm that Jesus walks headlong right into. Especially on the question of the Pharisees, that makes sense of the verse 13 where he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Yeah. You know, so he's specifically addressing them and saying, like, like God wants mercy. Like he wants to show mercy to the sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and like the real sinners of this world. Like that's right. You know, whatever, you know, we're not supposed to be cutting them off. Right. And we're not supposed to be, you know, leaving them out and, you know, keeping ourselves away. Like we're supposed to be more like doctors to them. Yeah. Um, as it were. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great way to think about it. And so often for those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, we have a temptation because kind of naturally we become more separated from what the world might deem as real sinners, just mm-hmm. in the circles that we run in and all those sorts of things. And so we can, if we're not careful, embrace a, an attitude of, I'm better than you. And the truth is, I'm not better than anybody. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And were it not for the grace of God, I would have no hope whatsoever. And God is extending grace to, to the real sinners, too. And, and I say that with air quotes that our listeners can't see. But um, it's so important that we remain open to uh, interact with those that um, 
are embracing behaviors that, frankly, um, haven't been even temptations for us for a long time. Um, We have to remember whence we have come and how far God has brought us and how far God's willing to bring anybody who will trust and follow Jesus. So that was the kind of Pharisee side of the question, but let's look at the the sinners and tax collectors side of the question. So, you know, it, it, they're literally at a table with Jesus, but I really want to ask the question, like, to what degree can you remain a sinner and a tax collector and be at the table with Jesus for, you know, moving forward? Like, I, I just want to see what you do with that question. That's a, that's a great question, and it's very interesting. So when we look at it from the POV of the... Um, of the sinners and the tax collectors. I want you to think about how maybe perhaps before you had come to Christ, how you viewed quote unquote religious people. Um, or maybe you've even watched the chosen. How do you feel about the guys walking around in the black flowing robes, the Pharisees? Um, because I still kind of have a, Oh, like you know, just this ick factor, uh, as it were, looking at the the uber religious people because they seem so judgmental and so holier than thou. And uh, if that were just on a TV screen, that would be one thing. But I think that we've all had experience where we've had people, maybe even in our own families, who, who become to some degree holier than thou. Well, how do you feel toward those people? I'm sure it's not a warm fuzzy when they see the Pharisees come around. The Pharisees are judging them, but they're judging the Pharisees right back. I mean, that's that's just what we do as human beings. And again, here's Jesus, this bridge, this 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 connector, because Jesus is perfectly righteous. He is the only person in this equation that is truly righteous. Mm-hmm. And he's likable and approachable and engageable. And he's, that's not a word, but I just made it up. Um, He's engaging with them and he's showing them love and respect and kindness, not in any regard discounting the law of God, but he's engaging with them as a human being on a personal level. And there's something attractive to him uh, or there's something attractive about him to them. Whereas I would venture to say that if one of the Pharisees came and said to a real sinner, let's sit down and have a meal, I don't think they would. So you've got both sides here. Um, Yeah, the Pharisees are very judgmental, but so also are the real sinners and the tax collectors. And here's Jesus calling both of them to himself. So it's a very interesting picture of what's happening here. Again, the awkwardness, I think, has got to be incredibly high because these are groups of people who otherwise would have nothing to do with each other in any sort of positive regard whatsoever, and yet here they are. Um, and I think that's what God does. He, he calls us out of what is comfortable to us because what is comfortable to all of us is sameness, likeness, um, even if that sameness is in our own sin. And he calls us to a greater reality, to a greater community. And that's not comfortable ever um, uh, until we have that that community surrounded, uh, surrounding Christ. It's funny, that reminds me of a teaching about the incense that was made for the temple service. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it had several ingredients in it, but one of the ingredients is just like really putrid. Uh, it just smells really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, God specifically asked that it's in this mixture. 
Um, so the you know the Jewish people are like, well, <laughs> you know, why is that in there? Like, what's the purpose of this ingredient in yeah. this incense that's you know associated with God and the you know holiest place? Um, so what they arrived at was that it's supposed to represent the Jewish people. So there's wow. you know these different ingredients. You know, you have the you know the the good people, as it were, you yeah, know, the obedient yeah. people and, you know, the loving people. But then you also have the cantankerous people, and, you know, the, <laughs> the sinful people of the people. Yeah. But the the list is not complete and the incense is not, you know, kosher incense if you don't have the, you know, the true sinners, as it were. That's really like the, interesting. Yeah, it's incomplete and, you know, not fit for God if you don't have that. So it's like, you know, you could apply that here and say, like, your table's not complete if you don't have... Um, you know, people who are, you know, trying to figure these things out and yeah. uh, come to God, come to Jesus and, you know, have those conversations and figure out what moving forward means. Oh, man. And and what an analogy for the church. Your yeah. church is not complete if you don't have people who are trying to trying to figure out life and, and trying to trying to wrap their minds around what it means to trust and follow Jesus. And and that's one of the things that I love about our church because we literally have people who are uh, brand new to the faith, people who aren't even of the faith yet, and who aren't members because you know to be a member, but but they're they're a part of this community mm-hmm. and they're seeking and they're searching and they're questioning and they're asking and it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. But uh, no church can carry out. I believe the New Testament mission of any church uh, to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If all you have are seasoned, mature Christians, um, you're missing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it is you're missing the obedience of evangelism, um, but you're missing the wonder and the newness of those who are new in Christ, infants in Christ. It's just like a family. I mean, you think about your family at Christmas time. You know, it's it's fun to get together, but when there's a baby or somebody who's just learning to walk and, and you know, the, the excitement that's on their face and everything's new and the wonder of it all, you got to have that in church too. You got to mm-hmm. have some babes in Christ and some people who are like, wow, this is amazing. And, and, and maybe some of the wow factor has worn off for you because you've been doing this for a long time. But to see that, man, it's an encouragement to all of us to continue growing and to continue just to be in awe of the grace of God extended toward us in Jesus. Amen. So let's take all of these different concepts and make them practical with today's practical application question. So to what degree do we, as Christians, eat with sinners and tax collectors? Like, should there be a boundary in our associations with those outside of the body of Christ? Well, you know, that's very interesting because the Apostle Paul addresses this specifically in his letter to the church at Corinth. Now, we learn in this section of 1 Corinthians that there was a pre-1 Corinthians letter. Um, and so 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians. But anyway, that's that's a different conversation for a different day. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, Paul talks about the fact that there is sexual immorality within the church at Corinth that is defiling the church. There's a man who has engaged in sexual activity with his father's wife. Don't believe that's his mother, but it's his stepmother. Mm-hmm. And um, the Apostle Paul is calling them out on this. And when you get down to verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, 
not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. In other words, let me offer a little commentary here. He's saying sinners sin. And that's what they do. And Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if you have not yet repented of sin and, and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you sin. It's what you do. He said, so you would have to go out of the world to avoid these sorts of people. But, verse 11, listen to this. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So what is Paul saying? Well, he is saying that if you were to get away from every sinner— If you were not to have table fellowship or any fellowship with sinners, um, people who engage in sexual immorality or idolatry or swindling or covetousness or all those sorts of things, you would have to leave the planet. Mm -hmm. So you have to engage with that. But he is making a distinction among those who say that they are part of the body of Christ. He's being very clear that if someone who identifies as a Christian is engaging in these behaviors, then there needs to be a separation because sharing that table fellowship indicates your approval of this individual's behavior. And this person is not living according to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. If you look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And then further down, in verse 13, he says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." So this is a sense of, of discipline within the church that... that If I have a brother in Christ who is, let's just say, cheating on his wife openly and feels like that's the greatest thing in the world, then by associating with him publicly and sharing table fellowship, I am to some degree affirming his sin. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't affirm the sin of those who would claim to be Christian. Uh, Don't affirm those who are sexually immoral, those who are swindlers, those who are idolaters, who claim to be Christian. Because essentially what you're trying to do is is help this person see, I'm in error. I need to repent and and need to return to um, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So, you know, I think from a very practical perspective, I think that 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 gives us kind of the boundary marker. Um, so from a very practical perspective, I mean, it just it, it, it helps us set the boundaries of where we go and what we do. We, we want to protect our witness, for sure. 
we don't want to do anything that's going to to disparage our witness to the gospel of Christ. Um, but we also don't want to make ourselves seem like we're too good for anybody, if that makes sense. So, so I think for me, it's a balance of not jumping into the snake pit, you know, where you go, what you do, who you're with. Um, the Bible says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So that's Proverbs thirteen twenty. if you need to hang it in your teenager's bedroom or anything like that. Um, but... I think that there's a balance there. So we ought to be loving to all people. And part of the way that we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is to be clear that if that if you're claiming Christ and walking outside of Christ's lifestyle, um, then there is a clear distinction there. And God is calling you to repentance and faith. Uh, and so there's a, a separation that should happen there. Man, the more I think about this incident that Matthew is narrating, the more it just gets deeper and deeper with all of these themes that we're talking about in these different balances and tensions and contradictions. It's, you know, you have, you know, who are called sinners and tax collectors at the table, but they're at this table because they've come to hear Jesus. So yeah. they're, they've, there is buy-in there. Yeah. Um, this isn't, you know, like outsiders, like Paul's like, like, I don't judge outsiders. You know, they're, they're not they're they're out there at for you know I'm not judging them for their sin. Yeah. Like we're not in conversation at the moment. Right. Um you know but then the Pharisees are there too cuz they're they're wanting to figure out what Jesus is talking about. Um you know not all Pharisees were there and you know we don't get accounts the Sadducees were there. It seems right. like they're not interested at all at what he's saying. Yeah. Um you, and you have these different approaches that he takes with both of them. You know it seems much more loving loving with the newcomers and those who are you know uninitiated as it were. Right. Um, but then, you know, a little harsher, a little more um, sharp with people who maybe should know better. That I think that's the perfect way to put it. They ought to know better. <laughs> and and Jesus is, is he's a master teacher. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's God. You know. So you know, he does it right. Um, but he's such a master, not only teacher, he's a master at connecting with people at their level mm-hmm. where they can clearly understand him. And they're, they're you know, Man, um, he's just so good. Mm-hmm. He's just so good. Um, and again, he's calling both of them to repentance. Um, but he's doing it in a way that perfectly fits the person and the context that he's he's speaking into. So Jesus is pretty amazing. That's, he is. That's uh, that's a good takeaway. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a good takeaway that he he meets you where you are. You know, like in in your. Uh, prayer life with God and in your discipleship to Jesus, like he's, you know, he's there walking with you, you know? Yeah. And loves you too much to leave you there. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you right where you are. But if you stick around me long, you're not staying where you are because mm-hmm. following Jesus automatically, I mean, that is, that is the function of the Holy Spirit within me. Following Jesus leads to change. And if, I'm not changing. I'm not following Jesus. Um, and and that's another important distinction. So, you know, Jesus, yes, he ate with tax collectors and sinners, but he's, he called them to a higher level of living through repentance and faith. Um, he talked with Pharisees. He called them to a higher level of living through repentance and faith. I mean, you go read the woe to use. Mm. Uh, my goodness gracious. I mean, he didn't pull any punches. And... Um, he communicates truth in love 
in a way that is accessible by those to whom he is speaking. Many reject it, but some don't. And listeners, we just want to encourage you, and as we encourage ourselves, to always be soft-hearted towards Jesus' call to us. There are going to be times when he comes to us deeply uh, gentle, and there are going to be times when he's a little bit more straightforward. (laughs) And uh, through his word and by his spirit, he is going to call us repeatedly to repentance and faith, for that is the best life. And may we all submit to his leadership always. Amen. And in your walk of discipleship, if you do have any questions that arise, if you have anything that uh, you want to submit for us to talk about on the show, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your love for us. And we thank you that you showed your love for us supremely in the giving of your only begotten Son, and that Jesus came to meet us where we are and to elevate our lives beyond where we could possibly go ourselves. Lord, we're thankful for the call to repent and believe the gospel. We're thankful for the call to follow Jesus, trusting him every step of the way. We're thankful that you call us out on our sin, and we're thankful that you've given us very practical information and very practical instructions as to how we are to live out the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Father, when we stray, please, by your Spirit, call us back. Let us repent. Let us believe again the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us be people whose lives exemplify the sort of life-changing love that you have for us. May we share it with others so that they too might know the joy of being your children. Father, we love you. We trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fu Ying Engdahl.